or the flood. all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Folks, we've got several things here that the Bible is referring to concerning the end of days. The event that Jesus is talking about to his disciples is when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation to exact judgment upon the nations of the earth. One of the things I think we lose sight of from time to time at least is that from the time that Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden to the end of time, this world has been on the collision course with the Battle of Armageddon. Now we focus on Jesus and his sacrifice and all the things that he's done for us and that's right, and that's what we should do. But we also need to keep in mind God's plan for Israel and the results of the tribulation period. And he said, for the purpose of giving insight, he talked about the generation that would see these things come to pass the generation that would experience Jesus' return in glory and the battle of Armageddon and the end of days. Now he said, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The sign that he gives us, first and foremost, is to see what's happening or be able to, to discern what's happening with the nations of the earth. When he talked about the fig tree, the fig tree always stands for Israel in Bible prophecy. And even when Jesus, in the last week of his life, cursed the fig tree in Mark chapter 11 and gave us those wonderful scriptures concerning faith and how faith operates, the most concise definition, in my opinion, of anything that we have on the subject of faith and the operation of faith. So if Israel is the fig tree, and he refers to the fig tree shooting forth. Now everybody, every Bible scholar, everybody that's knowledgeable about Bible prophecy or anything else, everybody agrees that that has to be the formation of the nation of Israel. That took place, Israel became a nation in May of 1948. And he talks about this generation seeing these things, or the generation that did see these things, meaning Israel come back into being, would not pass away until all these things are, are fulfilled and finished, completed. If Israel came to be a nation, or since it came to be a nation, in May of 1948... Seventy years from that point in time would be 2018. So anybody that begins with that generation or that is part of that generation that begins in 1948 would be 73 years old now. Now Moses lamented in Psalm 90 when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience refusal to obey God's word and take the promised land. Moses lamented that people were dying at age 70 or if by reason of strength they made it to 80. Now Moses lived to be 120 years old. He was 80 years old when God first spoke to him to deliver the children of Israel. And so here he is lamenting unto God that these people were dying at a younger age than he was. Two thousand and twenty-eight would be eighty years from nineteen forty-eight. Now, granted, God could keep one person alive till age one hundred and twenty or some unusual number, some extended lifespan, to fit 
what he said about the generation not passing away. But folks, he's trying to give them insight. He's trying to reveal to them things that they could look for and, and express their hope toward. And so that would defeat the purpose. If he didn't mean the generation beginning in 1948, then why did he tell them what he said? He could have left that out and it would affect, wouldn't have affected the prophecy in one way, in any significant way whatsoever. And remember that the things that he said this generation would see was Jesus coming back at the end of the tribulation period. So the generation, if we understand the things that the Bible said correctly, the generation would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 years, give or take a year or two. So if it's, for example, if the 80 years is the length of the generation that Jesus is referring to, then 80 years from 2000, uh, then from 1948, 80 years forward would be 2028. And that would be the end of the tribulation period. We know the tribulation is seven years exactly. And so that puts us at 2021. For the church to be a part of that generation. Folks, this is 2021. Now, I think there's some things left to do. Some things that the Bible refers to as far as the outpouring of the latter rain and the harvest, the precious fruit of the earth that is brought in by that moving of the Holy Spirit. But we need to realize we could be caught up into heaven at any time. Now, one of the things that I want to refer you to this morning in Luke chapter 22, I'll begin reading in verse 24. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest, talking about the disciples of Jesus. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But it shall, you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and the, he that is chief as he that does serve. Now this is an account that's related three times in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all cover this. John doesn't, because John the Gospel of John seems to be tying up some loose ends, and this is not one. But if we're to look at the nations, Israel and the other nations of the world, to interpret the signs of the end, then something that Jesus tells us that pertains to the nations of the world should catch our attention. Now, as I said, this is recorded three different times. You've got this one where the disciples are arguing among themselves at the Last Supper, which one's going to be the greatest. But then there's another account, I think it's Matthew's account, that tells us that the mother of James and John came to Jesus and worshipped him, and he said, what do you want? What are you here for? And she said, she requested that her sons, James and John, would sit on thrones to his right and his left. Jesus answers in the same exact manner. There's virtually no discrepancy in the three accounts whatsoever, other than Matthew's account talks about his mother being, their mother, James and John's mother being involved. But each time Jesus says, something significant about the nations of the earth. He talks about the government 
the governmental purposes or agenda of the nations of the earth is to rule or control the people under their purview. And he says it three times. Now, folks, if we are as close to the end as the Bible indicates that we could be or are, then we need to keep our eyes open and identify what's going on around us and why. We've got things taking place in our everyday lives today that could not have been predicted even two years ago. We're dealing with a pandemic that there's absolutely no sound reason for why the things that have happened have happened. The news media has told us that the, the COVID-19 pandemic, they've treated it as if this co the coronavirus is the deadliest thing to ever hit the earth. Truth has been ignored. Facts have been discarded. True scientific evidence has been delegitimized. What for? Because the devil's trying to exercise control. We've had fascinating things take place that we didn't find out about until after the fact. But you remember when Tr President Trump was still in office, he made mention of a drug that he was taking that his doctors recommended that he took that was providing a great benefit for him. I'm not sure how to say it exactly, but it's hydroxychloroquine or something like that. You remember what the news media did over that? They discredited the, the medication because Trump was the one that said it. They ridiculed him said stupid things like Trump was advocating injecting people with bleach. Absolutely ridiculous handling of something that was either true or false. Well, now that Trump is gone, we can, the news media tells us that it's true. But folks... This medication that he referred to, as well as a couple of others, have produced a success rate of 85% when it comes to hospital stay or hospital care. What I mean by that, and I know I'm not saying it very well, but what I mean by that is they found hydroxychloroquine along with a couple of other medications reduce hospitalization or the need for hospitalization by 85%. How many people died as a result of ignoring anything short of some miracle vaccine when there was medical evidence, even at the time, that it reduced the severity of the, of the virus in unforeseen ways. While the deception, we've got the same thing with the vaccine now. The vaccine was touted as a miracle vaccine which is interesting because how is something a miracle vaccine where it doesn't stop the transmission of the virus that's supposed to be of the vaccine for? Folks, this country has been running on fear for the last 18 months. 
And again, it's all for one purpose, and that is control. We've got a year and a half under our belt at this point, and so there are things that we can identify as truth that a year and a half ago was just speculation. There have been sufficient studies identified so far that even the N95 masks provide virtually zero benefit. And history is showing us, the last 18 months of history is showing us, in many cases it's producing greater harm than doing good. So why are school boards all across the country trying to dictate that we make kids wear masks to school? Studies have shown without equivocation that children are the least likely to contract the coronavirus anyway. So what are they trying to control? Folks, whether you know it or not, these things are all precursors to the mark of the beast. Now I realize saying something like that in public is not a real popular thing to do. And I'm quite sure that if we were considered to be important enough or influential enough then there would be an attack made against us for, for saying things like that. Look at how much the world is hiding from the truth. Now, I understand the coronavirus was necessary at the point in time that we were in regarding the presidential election. If there hadn't been a coronavirus, if there hadn't been a pandemic, then we wouldn't have a Biden administration. Remember the good old days, like two years ago, <laughs> when you could go where you wanted to go to eat whenever you wanted to go? Folks, the response to the coronavirus has been so foolish. almost on the borderline of insanity. But it's all for one purpose, and that is for the devil to try to control the people of the earth. There's a major push going on in a lot of circles to convince people to hate America and I've heard the question asked numerous times, and I'm sure you have as well. What would this world look like without America? Well, the Bible tells us. Look with me to Ezekiel chapter 38. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Beshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. The land of Magog is Russia. Gog is the leader of Russia. It goes on to say, verse 3, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers, and shields, all of them having or handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and his bands, the house of Tagarma and of the north quarters, and all of his bands, and many people with thee. Now, some of those territories, or some of the names really, we recognize 
But the map looks a lot different now than it did in Ezekiel's day. But in, in generalizing the land that he's talking about, it's referring to a coalition army of Russia and much of East, uh, Eastern Europe. It also includes others, primarily Muslim countries. And it talks about how they come together to, to attack Israel. Verse 7, be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely all of them. Now when it mentions the mountains of Israel... It's talking about the northern border of Israel that borders with Syria. So it's telling us how Russia will come down into Israel, which is through Syria, which makes military sense. It's the most direct route. Notice verse 9. It says, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands and many people with thee. When it talks about coming as a storm, it's referring to an airstrike. It's not just talking about the number of the armies. It's talking about an airstrike that will take place from the north through the passageway of Syria. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go up to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls. And having neither bars nor gates. It indicates Russia, that uh, Israel will be at peace. Here's the reason why they come. Verse 12. To take a spoil and to take a prey. To turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. And upon the people that are gathered out of all the nations. Which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Verse 13. Sheba and Dedan with the merchants of Tarshish. With all the young lions thereof, say, shall, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. Now, verse 13 identifies that there will be other nations that will pursue diplomatic strategies rather than responding militarily to this coalition army that Russia brings. You'll hear people say all the time, why is, Israel, why is America excluded from end time prophecy. Well folks we might be included in this list right here. One thing we know for sure. Nobody raises a, a, a resistance. To the coalition army that Russia has established. Now that begs the question why? Why would there not be a military response? Well, one thing we know for sure is that this war that Israel, that uh, Russia and the coalition armies make against Israel is the first day of the tribulation period. The tribulation lasts for seven years exactly. And the seven years start counting from the attack into Israel from the north. So America is identified as being without military response. But in, instead, the only thing they'll do is ask questions or operate in diplomacy. 
Now, why is that? Well, the Bible tells us that there's only one thing that's withholding the Antichrist from being revealed now. And that's the church. If we go to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, it tells us that John was caught up into heaven and there he saw the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's referred to as the seven spirits of God. It says that he sees 24 thrones around about the throne of God and he sees a sea of crystal. Now all of these things are referenced in, regarding to the, in regards to the church. And if the Holy Spirit is there in its entirety, as I said, the seven spirits of God, since Jesus said that he will never leave us nor forsake us, then if the Holy Spirit is in its full manifestation in heaven, then we've got to be there too. The 24 thrones, 12 are from the Old Testament, 12 are from the New Testament, and they're there to judge the church. I don't mean judge in the sense, or the words the Bible uses, it's not the sense of determining right or wrong, but instead they're representatives of the church. Well, how could the 24 elders be in heaven and the church not be there? Who would represent the ones that are still on the earth? And what about that sea of crystal? Crystal is the only substance known to man in which you can't hide a flaw. The facets of a crystal expose whatever flaws there are. So when John is caught up into heaven, starting with the book of Revelation, therefore starting with the prophecy of the book of Revelation, starting with a, a, a mini rapture in itself, John looks and sees the church in operation in the presence of God. And the first thing that it says is that the seven seals are opened. The first seal looses the Antichrist. The second seal looses the war, which Ezekiel 38 is referring to. So the Antichrist is in perfect position for when Israel, or when God, on Israel's behalf, defeats this coalition army coming down from Russia into Syria. Let's start again in verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. And it shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before thy eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come up against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel." This is talking about an earthquake that affects the mountains of Israel to their northern boundary. So that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake in my presence. 
and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and his bands. And upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Remember earlier it referred to a cloud coming like a storm or like a cloud against the nation of Israel. We referred to that as being to some degree an airstrike. With all the smart weapons and guided missiles and all the things that we have as a part of our, our military arsenal to which Russia, if, if any of the nations of the earth would be on par with America, it would have to be Russia. Do you know the one thing that guided missiles and guidance tracking things cannot survive? Hail. And one of the things, the two things that God said that he will do is the earthquake and the hailstones. The guidance system is thrown for a loop. No matter how advanced weaponry Russia might have at that point in time. It'll be ineffective. Or if we use an archaic term, it's the same as God taking the arrows from their quiver. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am God. Notice the next chapter. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. Now that phrase, the sixth part of thee, if my math is correct, that's leaving about 17%. But he's not talking about the armies. The armies are wiped out. Well, if he's not talking about the armies, then what sixth part is he talking about? Well, just as the hail falls to protect Israel in the war, which turns out to be a one-day war, a one-day victory for Israel, it talks about raining hail and uh, hailstones and fire on the lands that join themselves in this coalition army. Now, as we said a little bit earlier, the majority of this coalition army are Islamic nations. So these Islamic nations are decimated, not because they're involved in the war, but because the same judgment of God comes upon them as is exacted upon the armies that come down into Israel. God in one day, in one fell swoop, virtually wipes Islam off the map. Now there are still some other nations, Islamic nations that are left untouched. But you've got places like the Philippines which is made up, a nation that's made up of many islands. It talks about how God brings judgment upon the islands of the sea. Islamic terrorism is done away with in less than one 24-hour period of time. Now, the reason that I point this out, folks, is because I think so often we get in, uh, in our own one-track way of doing things, praying or thinking. And God is so much bigger than what we think. We look at Islam and the things that are taking place. 
And maybe the greatest threat, if we were to prioritize them, maybe the greatest threat to America would be considered by many or most, perhaps, as Islamic terrorism. But God changes the world in one 24-hour period of time by enabling Israel or delivering Israel in the way that he does the things that used to be a threat are no longer a threat now as these coalition armies are defeated it sets the stage for somebody to fill the gap verse 2 again I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel and I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give unto thee the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send the fire on, God, on Magog, the nation of Russia, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. Here's that reference to places like the Philippines. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of the people, my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, it is come and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. That's how we know that the, this coalition army made up of Russia and Iran and the others is the beginning of the seven years of tribulation because the weapons burn for seven years. So just as Revelation reveals the first seal that's broken releases the Antichrist to be revealed which means the church has to be gone at that point in time because we are the only thing holding back the revelation or the revealing of the Antichrist now. And then the war that Ezekiel 38 and 39 refers to and then from that period of time to the end is seven years exactly. Jesus told us to look at Israel and the other nations. We've just experienced one of, if not the greatest, humiliations in Afghanistan over this last week. And these are things that set the stage for America not being actively on Israel's side to defend them. Now the only reason that America would not step up to help Israel is one of two things. Either we don't have the military might to step in or we don't have the political will to take that step of action. I've said in times past that there's nothing that the Bible really identifies, specifically identifies that the Tribulation has to start the day after the rapture. I'm not sure anybody ever told us this, but when I was a kid growing up in Baptist, Southern Baptist uh, Sunday school, we talked about the rapture a lot. And the idea was, if Friday, the rapture took place on Friday, then the tribulation begins on Saturday. And there's nothing that would 
dictate otherwise. But as we referred to a couple of times already, if the church is the only thing holding back the Antichrist, then the devil is certainly not going to delay his tactics to bring him to the forefront. It could take a, a matter of days or maybe up to a week for Russia to realize at what moment is the perfect time for them to strike. But whatever it is that triggers them to take this step is the last day of their physical existence on the earth. God destroys these, uh, these enemy armies, these coalition, uh, coalition of other nations along with Russia. He delivers Israel so decisively by defeating the military might of these armies with the hailstones and the fire. And then the earthquake destroys the armies themselves. Folks, God is setting us up for the end of days. We've seen in our own country how the news media props up people that they are in favor of. I can imagine, I can only imagine what they're going to do when after the Russian coalition armies are destroyed And then some leader from some lesser country steps in to fulfill the leadership role. I can just imagine the news media fawning over this person that they're going to fall so in love with that they only report what they want you to hear and the rest they'll report lies that supports their cause. One thing we know for sure, they will be left here. There will be such an upheaval in America when the church departs. Because the, the rapture is not just for those who are living worthy lives of being raptured. But anybody that's born again, no matter how barely born again they might be, will be taken and caught up into the presence of God. Imagine for a moment how that's going to be reported. What are they going to do? How are they going to spend this? Surely there will be some that are public figures to such a degree that what's perceived as, as their goodness will leave a, a, a gaping hole in this land that we live. How is the news media going to treat that? Are they going to say that it's just the Christians that were taken? That's kind of an indictment against themselves. Let me read from Revelation chapter 13. 
Revelation chapter 13. This is at the just about very near the it's midway point of the tribulation. And he causes all, talking about the Antichrist, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. I saw a couple of reports about certain ones that are advocating in Los Angeles County, that are advocating that you have to have your vaccine passport to shop in the grocery stores. There's a lot of talk about these vaccine passports, proof of vaccination against the COVID virus. So much so that it seems to me that we need to settle the issue once and for all in our own heart. Folks, I can't tell you what I think you ought to do. I don't think it's right for me to say that you should take the vaccine or tell you that you shouldn't. But there's a lot of information that's being overlooked. There was one week in July. I haven't been able to run it down to see if it went any longer than that one time. But there was a week, the last week of July, that more people had died from the vaccine than were dying from the COVID virus. It's virtually impossible to find out the number of, re of related deaths, vaccine-related deaths, in this country. But I saw a report that in Brazil... Over 32,000 people have been, have died as a result of the vaccine. Folks, with all the misreporting and the twisting and turning and spinning the truth and all this, and everything that's been done, the coronavirus has a recovery rate of 99.97%. I've seen some of the test results that the efficacy rate of the virus, of the vaccine. Some studies have shown in the 40s. One study showed even in the 30s, the 30% or the 40% range of the success of the vaccine. I don't even think we're being accurate if we call it a vaccine. How can it be a vaccine if it does not stop the transmission of the COVID virus? Now, I understand that's not popular terms to use, but it's the truth. I want to challenge you on something, and that's this. I want you to meditate on the fact that sickness and disease is a part of the curse of the law. But Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, if coronavirus is a, disease, a virus or a disease, then you are redeemed from it. Now, that only becomes real to you when you confess it and take hold of it for yourself. You can't just sit back and say, well, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law and then worry about getting the virus. The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But folks, there's not anything that's happening in our world that God hasn't foreseen 
and made a way for escape through the precious blood of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid of the coronavirus. You don't have to be afraid of the vaccine passports. There may be some inconvenient times ahead for us. But there's not anything that can come down the road that can overcome the righteousness of God that you've been made in Christ Jesus. I want to close with one final verse of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now while you're finding that, let me make a couple of comments. When the Bible identifies to us the signs of the end, Jesus always gave signs of his coming back to destroy the nations of the world at the Battle of Armageddon. We read from Matthew's account that no man knows the day or the hour of the rapture. That's certainly true, but it doesn't say we won't know the seasons in which he could return. As one person put it, the rapture is signless, but the return of Jesus in what is technically called the second coming, the second coming is not referring to the rapture. The second coming, he was talking about Jesus coming back at the end of the tribulation. And the signs that Jesus gave were all pointing to the second coming and not to the rapture. Now, it would stand to reason that some of the same characteristics of people in the tribulation period that it would be similar to that before the church is caught away. And as long as we know that, then it gives us a little bit of insight into what to expect, what to expect of the world before he returns. But here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, notice it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that word expressly means specifically or definitively. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Here's Timothy, uh, here's Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, an able minister in his own right. Here's Paul saying, here's what the Holy Ghost keeps telling me. The Holy Ghost keeps saying again and again and again that in the last days some shall depart from the faith. Now let me ask you a question. We know that departing from the faith is turning your back on God. And I'm sure there will be some that reject their salvation. But I would expect that the vast majority would just be people who return, reject the truth of the word not because they don't want to be in God's family anymore just because they operate in the fear of the world rather than operate in faith in God's word I would expect that to be the majority position not the minority and so here's the question what would it take for us to turn our back on the truth of God's word and the blessings of salvation. Redemption from sickness and disease. Redemption from poverty. And walking in the peace of God. What would it take for you to turn away from that? See, I can't imagine that. I can't come up with any scenario 
that would cause me to turn my back on what I know to be the truth of God's word. I trust that it's the same for you. But nobody knows your heart except you and God. But here's what the Holy Ghost kept saying again and again to Paul. To such a degree that he had to share it with his son in the faith, Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, specifically, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Can you imagine any doctrine coming along that makes you reject the truth of Jesus' shed blood and his sacrifice and the benefits that it brings to you? I can't imagine what that doctrine would be. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Let me clean up a couple of things that I said earlier. As I said, I don't believe it's up to me or it would be appropriate for me to tell you what to do regarding the vaccines. But here's what I do want to tell you. If you got the vaccine, whether it was from fear or whatever your reasons for getting it would be, God's not against you. You haven't forfeited your place with God. And if I was in that situation, then I would take it to the Lord in prayer. And I would begin to speak over my body in such a way that the side effects whether they be short-term or long-term, side effects of the vaccine would have no power over my flesh. See, the Bible talks about walking with God in one place in Isaiah. He talks about walking through the fire but not being burned. We know that to be true of the, the three Hebrew children that were t thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. They were in the midst of the fire, but they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them when they came out. And so if it was me, I would very much just lay my heart open to the Lord and say, Lord, I did this. Whether I did it with a good conscience or not, I took this vaccine. But now I ask you in the name of Jesus, to protect me from the ill effects thereof. I think a lot of people will find the mercy of God to be overwhelming in that case. God's not against you, folks. And just as we can't imagine what doctrine of devils or seducing spirits, doctrine could turn us away from God and the truth of his word. No mistake that you and I have made can turn God away from us. I think the greatest tragedy in the church in these last days would be if we chose to operate in fear and stayed in that fear. Then we become easy targets for the devil. So I want you to know that the blood of Jesus is greater than coronavirus.
And I want you to know that the mercy of God is greater than your mistake or any mistake that you might make. Now, I know that it's getting to the point where vaccination is required for people's jobs. And that's a tough spot to be in. I'm not in that situation. My employer does not require me to have a vaccine. <laughs> in fact, my employer has provided me with a vaccine that's called redemption. But I don't think we can put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and judge them based on what we think we might do. So I want you to know the truth of the word. That whatever decision you make, I would recommend to you that you make it in faith. That you make your decisions based on praying about what God would have you to do. And that you quicken your body with the word of God by speaking it. And trusting God to make up the difference. These are interesting days, folks. We are literally in a place where at any moment we could hear a shout from heaven and be caught up with him in the air. When I used to think about that, I wouldn't really get excited. But the more I see this world deteriorate, the less pull there is to keep us here. One final comment. When we get to heaven, you will never remember what it was you were thinking you'd like to have of this earth before you left. It will not even register in your memory because of the beauty and the greatness of heaven. But even more than that, the awesomeness of being in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you've done in executing your great plan of redemption. Jesus, we thank you for providing it for us through the sacrifice of your precious blood. We thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. And that we might receive the promise of your spirit through faith. Father, we thank you that according to your word, you order our steps. We thank you for direction to show us what to do and how to do it. Father, we say... Because we're redeemed from the curse of sickness. That every disease, every virus, every bacteria that is harmful to our body dies instantly when it comes in contact with our flesh. We declare, Father, that we are the redeemed of the Lord. That we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And that righteousness does not come and go. It's who we are and who we will always be. We thank you, Father, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for your people. We thank you for spectacular increase in these last days so that we're not dependent on a job or any man for anything. If you have to feed us like you did with Elijah, whatever is necessary, Father, 
we'll follow you. We thank you, Father, for making our testimony of your goodness and your mercy to be of greater influence than ever before. We pray, Father, that others would see you in us. In Jesus' precious name.